0: Good morning. I had a dream about the time I was waking up, a horrible dream. Uh, this is one of those I shared with Paul this morning. He said it's his number one recurring dream, and I've had it a few times. This was a unique way of this, but anyway. Um, Paul and Minda and Nita and I were somewhere. I think it might have been South Africa. It could have been here, but we were far away from Detroit, And we were all ministering together. And so we get to the meeting. Paul's up first. You know, Paul has this way of just puffing you up and just making you feel great and, you know, telling people that you're the best thing since sliced bread. And um, so right in the middle of that, I have a horrible, horrible realization. I always prepare my messages on the computer, and I email them to myself on my tablet. And it dawned on me, I don't have my tablet, I don't have my Bible, I don't have my computer. It's back somewhere we're staying, and it's a long way back. And so, I mean, I was just horrified, and so that's the way I woke up this morning. So anyway, just want you to know everything's in order. <laughs> but it is good to be here, and this is a great season, and uh, I love everything about Christmas. I mean, I, you know, I have a true confession I don't like decorating the tree. and My wife is a great decorator, and so she decorated our tree all by herself. It's not the first time she's done it. So we were watching a, a, a Hallmark movie. True confession, I actually will watch my, my wife sometimes. So we were watching a Hallmark movie the other night, and it was a tall tree, and this guy was helping his girlfriend. So I turned to Nita and I said, You know, if we had a tree that big, I would have helped you. But anyway... <laughs> I do love everything about Christmas, but sometimes what happens is, you know, we don't really catch the true meaning of what Christmas is really about, but I'm not one of these anti-Santa Claus people, I'm not one of these anti-the way Christmas has become commercialized. I enjoy the beauty and all of that, so I'm not a one to rain on your parade this morning. But the message I have today, I call it, you can put the first slide up, I have a few slides, I don't have that many. Um, The good good noise, good news of great joy to all people. Good news, uh, some translations say tidings, the word tidings just simply means news. Good news of great joy to all people. And then the next slide, we can leave it at that. The meaning of Christmas is empty when Jesus is left as a baby. And so we have to understand that. I want to give you a little bit of a background about the the scene there in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Uh, Jesus was, uh, his parents were from Nazareth. And they traveled about 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The reason they had to go was because Caesar Augustus who was the ruler of the Roman Empire, and Israel was a part of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus had put out an edict that there needs to be a new census. And the purpose of that was for taxation, to make sure that we can get all the money out of these people. And so they had to go because Joseph, who was uh, Mary's husband, was of the house and lineage of David coming out of Bethlehem. So they had to return to Bethlehem. Now here Mary is fully pregnant, traveling 70 miles. Some people say by donkey, most people say they didn't have a donkey. So it's walking 70 miles. Uh, If you wanna if you if you think the will of God is always easy, just take a look at Joseph and Mary. So they go 70 miles and then jump ahead a bit when Jesus is two years old. Uh, Herod was crazy. Uh, he wanted. He heard that there had been the king of the Jews born, and he didn't want any rival king in his kingdom. So he ordered that all children two years old and younger be slaughtered. And so God told M- Jer- Mary and Joseph to go to Egypt. Well, that's another 60 miles, so it, we're at 130 now. And then uh, after the time came that uh, Herod had died, God told them to go back to Nazareth, so they went to Nazareth. That's 130 miles. And so this is all in order to do the will of God. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of what God is doing. God goes to great lengths to use people to do His will, because the reality of it is this. If we don't have Jesus as a virgin, if He's not born of a virgin, then there is no reality to Christianity. Because in order for God's sacrifice for our sins uh, to be a pure sacrifice, it had to be someone without a sin nature. And so God, by the Holy Spirit, put Jesus in the womb of Mary and no sin nature contamination, and he was born in Bethlehem. And so we can't leave Jesus as a baby. Uh, And and so I don't want to take the whole time talking about this, But the book of Luke, chapter 1, starts with his birth, then it goes to him being circumcised, then he's offered in the temple, and then uh, it ends with Jesus being 12 years old. And then the door on the history of Jesus slams shut for 18 years. And the next thing we know about Jesus, he's being baptized in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and then things begin to happen, the miracles And all of that began to happen because he did no miracles by his own power. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so get rid of the idea that Jesus was lying there in a manger as a little baby with his arms folded thinking, I can't wait till I'm 30 and I can do some miracles. Jesus was a real human. He did not have a sin nature. And so that's the backdrop of what we're going to be talking about. Probably you're going to hit some things about that. Jesus lived a perfect life by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born sinless, and he lived sinlessly. So Jesus didn't stay a baby, and that's good news. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of you will come a governor that will rule or shepherd my people Israel. This is a prophecy from the Old Testament, and it's about Jesus. Now the word governor, just keep that slide up there, the word governor means this in the Greek. It means to lead, to go before, to be a leader, to rule or command, to have authority over a prince of regal power, a governor, a chief. So Jesus, that little baby, is going to grow and he's going to become those things because of the faithfulness of him doing what God gave him to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. The baby in the manger grew up to become the governor or the Lord and the king. Now, what is a manger? That's a a word that kind of beautifies what it was. It was a feed trough. It was a feed trough where cows and maybe pigs drank water and ate food. So Jesus was born. Jesus came into the most humble circumstances. You know, they were looking for a king. Israel was looking for a king that would come in regal power, that he was already a king. And they missed it. They totally missed the first advent of Jesus. And I personally think that much of the church is missing much about the second advent of Jesus because they've had misunderstandings about the way Jesus is going to return. But that's another subject. Now our main text. If you'll put that up, Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. And the angel, angels appeared. One angel came, the angel of the Lord, came to shepherds in Israel who were watching over the flocks. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now as a baby, he was not the Savior. This was a prophetic statement of, of angels about what Jesus was going to become. He says, Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the angel said to them, Unto you is born this day. So this is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. The message was brought by an angel of the Lord to shepherds. Let's think about shepherds. It wasn't brought by an angel of the Lord to the high and mighty, to the affluent, or to kings, but to shepherds. Why were shepherds chosen? Why were shepherds chosen as the first on earth? to hear the good news of the coming of Jesus. It seems as though this very humble order of people was selected as a practical illustration of how God honors the humble and the meek. Isaiah 57 reveals that God dwells with the humble, and Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28, that we're to come to Him and learn from Him meekness and humility. So those values he begins to demonstrate very early. As a matter of fact, if there's two things that we need worked into our lives more than anything else, I believe it's meekness, which is also defined as gentleness and teachableness and humility. A person who thinks he's somebody, God's not interested in that person. He loves them, but he can't use a person who thinks he's somebody. There must be a reduction in our hearts of the way we see ourselves. Among the Jews at that period, shepherds were held in low estimation among the people. In the Talmud, the law, we read they were not to be allowed in the courts as witnesses. We also read that no help was to be given to the heathen or to shepherds. So to this lot, the angel of the Lord is sent to announce the coming of the Messiah. God's ways are not the ways of unregenerate, unrenewed people. Unregenerate, unrenewed people look for the, for the uh, mighty. They look for those that are famous. They look for those that are popular. But God is looking at hearts, and he comes to humble people. And another example of this is found, if you'll put this up, I think this is just a beautiful story of how God works. In Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, tetrarch is a ruler of a, of a, of a fourth of a region, tetric, uh, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Luke lists all of the political powers, all of the religious powers, and then he states that God went past them to John in the wilderness. God operates in ways that are different from the way that we think. If you'll put the next slide up. Shepherds were the first to receive news of the king's birth. Women were the first to receive news of the king's resurrection. Shepherds and women were viewed as unimportant nobodies. And God sent news of his kingdom to people that the culture perceived as unimportant. And and that's the way God operates. Now let's go back to our key text Luke 2, 10 and 11, the angel said to them, do not fear, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. He said this, that there is great joy, there's, I want to give you great news of great joy. Because, the word for can also be translated because, because unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, knowing Jesus as Savior, as the Christ, and as our Lord, and to live according to that is a doorway into living in joy. He's giving that as the reason for saying joy. So it's good news, great joy, and it's to all people. God is no respecter of persons. The word good news is is a word that simply means to announce good news. It's actually the word that also the word evangelist comes from in the Greek. The good news is the gospel. (coughs) What is the gospel? What is the good news? Simply put, the gospel or the good news is that all humans were born with a condition called sin. Utterly lost, cannot help ourselves, cannot improve our condition. But God, in His rich mercy, He came and He paid the price for us who could not help ourselves and to bring us into His kingdom as His sons. So that's what the good news is. That's what the gospel is. The the, The gospel is that God... Paid the price for us and brought us into His kingdom to live out His purposes. It says, "Great joy!" So, good news and great joy. The word "great joy" in the Greek means exceedingly great delight, gladness, or joy. So hear that: for unto you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so to live with Jesus in that context produces great joy, as the angel said. Think about yourself. Are we living with exceedingly great delight, gladness, and joy? I'm not standing here as one who is living perfectly in joy, and I'm not standing here as one who constantly is rejoicing. Uh, I'm not perfect yet. I've not arrived. But there's things in our lives that hinder or short-circuit joy and rejoicing, grumbling and complaining. Uh, We have a choice with every situation. We have a choice. The book of James says this in the first chapter, when you fall into various trials, various temptations, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to count it all Joy. In other words, what that does is it puts us in a place to where the circumstances don't always change, but what changes is our heart and our perspective about life. Everybody has stuff thrown at us. Everybody has circumstances come. And if what we can do is speak grumbling and speak complaining, and I I have been guilty of that in my life, there's no question about it. But if instead I count it all joy, then what happens There's something changes here? See, God's not primarily wanting to change our circumstances. He's wanting to change us here. And I think eventually God does change most of our circumstances that are hindering us. But what we need is we need to change right here. And part of that is rejoicing, having joy. And it says that this is a message to all people. And that word in the Greek for people just simply means people in general. To all people. To all of Detroit, to all of Michigan, to all of the United States, to the whole world, Jesus has come to be real in every person's life. Not as a baby, but as king, as Lord, as savior, as ruler. And then if you'll put up Matthew chapter 4, 13 and 16. See, God God does things differently than we do. God did not send Jesus into the region of Israel, like Jerusalem in in the area of Judea. That was the best part. God sends him to Galilee in the city of Nazareth. It was said of Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But God sent him to Galilee, and that's where he spent the most of his life. And, and it's fulfilled a prophecy in Matthew four thirteen through 16. Leaving Nazareth, he came and lived in Capernaum. So he moved from Nazareth and he, his home now was in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. In the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Now let me tell you, every person here, that is applicable to you. I was sitting in great darkness. I was sitting in the shadow of death, in the region of the shadow of death. Everybody's born in darkness. There's there's sin in our lives. And Jesus comes to us. But this was a specific prophecy of Jesus going to the people. The people that sat in darkness in the region of Galilee. Now, great joy to all people because unto us is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I can't emphasize that enough. To see Jesus for who he really is. He is Christ, God's Messiah. The one, that's what the word Christ means, the anointed one, Messiah in the Hebrew. He was the one that all of Israel had been looking for, and yet they did not see him. The scriptures say he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the authority to become sons of God and daughters too. But something very interesting. The New Testament doesn't talk about daughters of God except in referring back to the Old Testament. So, as in the Kingdom of God, in the New Covenant, everybody is a son, and all of us are a bride. So that puts away the gender conflict very quickly. I'm a bride, you're a son. Sorry, That's the way it is. <laughs> All people need a Savior and Lord, and that is God's Christ. He is the one. There is no other name given amongst men under heaven by which we must be saved. And nobody can really know joy, I'm talking about real joy, and delight without Christ's rule in our lives. Unless Jesus is ruling my life, I'm not going to know real joy. I remember when I got saved back in 1934. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 1971. You know, it was it was before. Uh, I don't think CDs were around in 1971. That was pre-CD. All we had was was LPs, and I we had this uh, you know this little turntable. And uh, Doug Oldham, Doug Oldham was he was the worship leader and singer with Jerry Falwell down in Lynchburg, Virginia. And he had some amazing songs about the love of Jesus and about joy. And there was one song that he sang, and I would just, I didn't even understand worship. All I knew was I was so thrilled to be saved. And I would just put that on, and I would walk around the house singing and crying, just rejoicing that Jesus had done this amazing thing in my life. Joy, what is joy? Well, joy is not happiness. Now, if you'll look it up in a dictionary, it'll tell you that it is, but it's not. Because joy is something totally different. Happiness is okay. I'm not against being happy, but joy is deeper. Happiness is based on happenings. They're based on happiness. And when we're unhappy, it is due to things that have happened that are not pleasant and we just wish that they would unhappen and so we are unhappy yeah. so happiness is based on the change of circumstances when the lions win we're happy someday we will be happy again <laughs> yeah when Michigan beats Ohio State we're happy maybe someday <laughs> Joy is not based on externals. It's not based on externals. It's from God. One of the most amazing verses in the Old Testament, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So our strength is not our joy, but it's the Lord's joy. The, the, The joy of the Lord is my strength, and He always has joy, so joy is always available. He's always available, so the joy of the Lord is our strength, so we just need to tap into the joy that the Lord has. Joy is a piece of the fruit of the Spirit. It is a piece of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Jesus said something about love. He said love is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, we don't have to paste the Ten Commandments on the wall and try to live by it. As a matter of fact, when you know what happened? When God gave the Ten Commandments, you know what God knew? He knew nobody could keep it. Because yeah. it was a yardstick. It was a measurement. This shows you. In other words, he just said, look, this shows you where you fail. And so... The law, Jesus said, now love is the fulfillment of the law. He told his disciples, he said, I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Because love is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, if I walk in love, I keep every one of the Ten Commandments. Well, he does something else with love. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to this. You can see it on the wall. Galatians 5, 19-23, obviously I didn't put all of that. But it talks in terms like this, the works, plural, of the flesh are, plural. And it lists those, and there's plenty of them, and I don't believe that's a complete list. It's just saying stuff like this. It actually ends with the list of the works of the flesh. It says, and, and thus like. So stuff like this is the works of the flesh. But then he says, the fruit of the Spirit is. So works are and fruit is and then he lists them. And I believe the fruit of the Spirit is singular and it is love. The next slide. Think of love as an orange with eight slices. Love is joyful, peaceful, patient or enduring. It's good, it's kind, it's faithful, it's meek or gentle or teachable and self control In 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 describes love and in doing so uses all pieces of the orange. It says love is patient, love is kind. And then you read the rest of those and all of those can be fit into one of those eight slices of that orange. So the fruit of the Spirit is love and one of those slices is joy. It's a fruit of what God does. It's a piece of the fruit of the Spirit. Romans 5 says the love of God has been, the translations say shed abroad, but the Greek says the love of God has been distributed largely into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The fruit of God's been put there by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us and the fruit is on the inside of us. And it's been distributed largely. So I don't need to say, oh God, make me more loving. Oh God, give me more love for that jerk that just did that. I just need to get in tune to what's on the inside. From the time we receive the Holy Spirit, we have joy within us. You not only have joy living your house as a daughter, you got joy in your heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. We all know that song, okay? But it's true. But joy needs to be accessed. It needs to be activated. We don't need to pray, God, give me more joy. We don't need to pray, God, give me more patience. We need to access the fruit. We need to access the fruit. Often to experience and be aware of joy, we need to rejoice. The words are very similar in the Greek. We need to rejoice. We need to rejoice. Philippians 4.4 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say it. Rejoice. Now, isn't it amazing? Can you think of any time that is not included in Always. Always is always. Now, I'm giving you a picture. I'm giving you something. This is tied to the birth of Jesus. But not just to the birth, but to Jesus as Lord and Savior. As the ruler of my heart. And that he's brought us to a place where this is accessible. I'm going to take a little short rabbit trail. Very short. I've got my eye on the clock. If you you go to school and you learn engineering, is there a textbook and is there practical working it out? Okay. That makes sense? That's true for any profession, any any of that. Well, when you become a Christian, there's the textbook. This is the textbook. And there's a practically working it out, living it out. And not only that, but God has given us his spirit to enable us to live. But it takes learning to yield and to be dependent. And so here's the reality if we're we're going to come to a place that these things I'm talking about today to walk in joy and to rejoice then I need to avail myself to that that he's put in me but I also must learn the textbook of what it is to grow into Christ likeness Jesus always had joy even when he was angry he had joy See, those things are not in conflict. And it it boggles my mind when when people say I'm a Christian, but they never take the time to pray or to read the Bible. I'm not giving you a bunch of do's. I'm just simply saying that that engineer would fail miserably. He would not really be an engineer. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so what I'm saying is, and this is not legalistic, it's not giving you a bunch of do's and don'ts, but... In order to grow in these things, there's got to be activation. Part of that is studying the scriptures. Part of that is learning to pray, especially praying in the spirit. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Now, not all joy is celebratory. Celebratory just simply means manifest through celebration. Not all joy is that. Sometimes joy is really quiet. Nita is a very good example Nita is not the kind of, you know, out there in your face. That's me. She's not out there, just up there all the time. But I've seen her celebrate. But she has joy. She really lives in joy. She is a great wife. She's great for me. I've told her more than once, even recently, when I grow up, I want to be like you. Okay? So what I'm saying is, is that we get the idea that joy, that celebration, or excuse me, or uh, rejoicing Requires that we, uh, or excuse me, I'm talking about joy right now. Joy is not always ce- celebratory. It doesn't require celebration. You can have a quiet personality and no real joy. Right. But rejoicing is not limited to extroverts. Right. That's correct. It just isn't. Sometimes it is really quiet. Rejoicing gets the joy flowing. Good, come on. All are to be ready to rejoice at all times. Okay, because rejoicing is celebratory. Not all joy requires celebration, but there are times of celebration. You know, most mornings I rejoice, but I rejoice kind of quiet because I live in a an apartment and I'm up early, and so. I do, I rejoice. Celebration doesn't even have to be loud. Now, I'm loud by nature, okay? Sorry. (laughs) But all are to be ready to rejoice at all times, even in extremely tough times. How tough? Let's see what Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Sue them. Don't let them get away with it. No, it doesn't say that, does it? We are a sue-crazy culture. I mean, totally. Totally, totally, totally. Let the world be that way, but that's not us. What does he say when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account? It doesn't mean if people are addressing issues where you're guilty. This is because of your life with Jesus on account of Jesus. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for your reward is great in heaven. And they persecuted the prophets who were before you just like that. So you're in a fraternity of people that were sometimes even killed and stoned or stoned and killed. And then Proverbs 15, 15. He who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Are you hungry? Just have a merry heart. Amen. Has a continual feast. And then Proverbs 17, A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. I think that's significant because, you know, in the bones, the lifeblood is being made. If you ever have to have blood taken away from you, if you have to, you know, give blood or you're in the hospital and they take out, you know, so much amount of blood, how does that build up? Because the bones, the marrow of the bones regenerate blood. So a broken spirit dries the bones. But a merry heart does good like a medicine. There's even healing that comes from living in joy. And then Isaiah 12, 2 through 6. I just love this one verse in here, but I'm going to read these five verses. Behold, God is my salvation. Do you know that? God is my salvation. I know that God is my salvation. I have no salvation anywhere else. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and He is my song and He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water out of the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water out of the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Joy expresses. This is one of the ways that we draw water out of the wells of salvation. You will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. That is declaring to those that don't know Him His goodness and what He's done. Proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord. For he has done gloriously. Singing praises to God activates the joy. With joy you draw waters. And that's an expression when you sing praises. That's an expression of your joy. And that draws the water out of the wells of salvation. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. To shout. Part of, you know, if you've ever been taught on praise and worship from the Old Testament... One of the Old Testament words for praise means to shout and to spin about. So if, if you've had the idea, if you've been raised in, a, in, in some type of a setting where Christianity is supposed to be quiet and subdued when we gather together, that's not what the Bible teaches. You know, when, when you're at a, a sporting event or anything that really gets you going, when something happens that's great, if you won the lottery, what would you do? I would shout, hallelujah. (laughs) I'm not encouraging you to buy lottery tickets. I'm just simply saying, if that happened. You know, if somebody happened to give you a lottery ticket and it was the right one, you would shout. Okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then salvation. What does salvation mean? That verse talked about salvation. We will draw, with joy, we draw water out of the wells of salvation. Let's look at those wells. The well of deliverance. This is what the word salvation in, in, the, in the Hebrew is Yeshua, 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 which is very similar to Yeshua, which is the name of Jesus. This is Yeshua. And the Greek is soteria. There is a well called deliverance. You can see your own deliverance by just using joy to draw from the well. Aid, victory. Prosperity, healing and health, help and welfare. With joy shall you draw waters out of the well of salvation, out of the wells of salvation. Next slide. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And it goes on to say, You will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known His deeds among the people. This is how joy is activated. When you start expressing. God gave us a mouth for a reason. When we start expressing. Proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord. Shout and sing for joy. Why? For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. He's not far. God is not a God that is far. He's a very present help all the time even in the time of trouble. So wells of salvation are plural. They're as many as our days, and they are located everywhere we go because God is with us everywhere. And this great salvation, this great salvation, Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, that's also prophetic. Who sits at the right hand of God? Jesus. But Ephesians 2 says that he has raised us up together with him, and he has made us to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I know somebody years ago taught, keep looking down because you're seated with him. (laughs) You're above everything looking down. There is no up. In other words, we're seated in his presence all the time. But there is a tangible presence. And as as we live in his presence and we do get the tangible presence manifested from time to time, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Now, let's have some activation. Once again, we're we're not talking. We're not just celebrating a baby, thank God. That's very important in the whole plan of God. But that baby grew up to do a phenomenal thing. Hebrews says that he delivered everybody from the fear of death. Those who were all their lifetime bound by it. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. That Christ delivered us all from the fear of death, being bound by it. As we just saw in the Beatitudes, rejoicing isn't only when things are all in order or when our emotions are great. That's easy to rejoice in. Rejoicing is easy when we learn to daily, in our prayer time, rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice every single day, regardless of the circumstances.